Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 49 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In the last podcast, we discussed cloud computing and the role it could play for mid-sized law firms. In this episode, we'll take a closer look at the social media tool most commonly used today by lawyers. Tom, do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about in this episode? Sure, Dennis. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're talking LinkedIn and some of the best practices for using it for professional networking. In our second segment, we've got another edition of the things Dennis and Tom have been talking about. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment and first topic, and that's LinkedIn. When we talk about social networking, when we hear people talk about the idea of social networking, um, the, 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 the sites and the services that tend to come up first and second are Facebook and Twitter. Um, and, and, and lawyers and the folks that I follow anyway on Twitter dismiss those as legitimate business tools. And that's not true. There, there's a lot who believe that it is a legitimate business development tool. But, but by and large, you get lawyers not using Facebook or Twitter for, for that purpose. But LinkedIn is different, and although it might be the third social networking site you think of, it's probably the best site for professional development for lawyers. Dennis, you and I both agree that LinkedIn is the number one professional networking tool for lawyers, but I still find lawyers who don't even have a basic LinkedIn profile. For those of you who might not be on LinkedIn yet, Dennis, can you start us off with a just a quick introduction to the site? Sure, Tom. And I, I also say that when I speak on social media, what I found consistently in the surveys support this is that most of most lawyers really, if they pick one tool, it's going to be LinkedIn that they right. say that they used. When I ask questions about how they're actually using it, I think you're right. There, people, lawyers tend to use it on a very limited basis. And and it's uh, when I go through and show them what LinkedIn actually does in the way that I use it, it's a, it's a revelation for them in some ways. And they, they it's almost like I can see the light bulb go on. But so what LinkedIn is, is I think two key things So it, that it does. It first is the profile. And the second thing is connections. So the profile, it, it uh, forces you um, in a nice way to put a complete profile. So this is a professional biography. Um, it's going to ask for different sorts of information about where you've worked, where you've gone to school, those sorts of things. And it incentivizes you and gives you a progress status report to help you uh, get that profile filled out. And that profile goes out uh, and, and that's what, what people are going to see about you. So it's, it's sort of like an up-to-date working uh, either a bio or a resume, depending on how how you want to think about it. The second thing it does, and uh, what it was always designed for, is connecting. And so behind LinkedIn is sort of the notion of the six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon, so that you can hmm. see people who are one step away from you, two steps away from you, and how you connect. And so 
There's a notion out there in social media called the social graph, which is how we map all our different connections. And LinkedIn is re- was really one of the first sites that that allowed you to map and see what what's out there in your professional connections. And that's that's how it really started. And Tom, I know that on your you checked your blog, and I think that our use of LinkedIn. Uh, based on what you're saying, goes back six, seven years, right? You know, it really does. I I wanted to see when I first started mentioning LinkedIn on my blog, and so I typed it in, and it looks like the first mention is on January 28th of 2004, where I mentioned that you're talking about LinkedIn and that I've I've joined LinkedIn largely as a result of of you talking about it. And I couldn't believe that it's actually been seven years that uh, we were first talking about this site. It it seems like with, with the number of people that I find joining it every day that it hasn't been along for quite that around for quite that long. Um, you know, I think you're absolutely right about LinkedIn. The, 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 the part that I think is the most beneficial is the fact that it allows you to, in a passive way, maintain an online presence with, uh, with an online resume. Uh, you can at, at the very most basic, um, put a resume online that has your education, your experience. Um, you know, even, even these days you can actually add in your certifications. You can add in languages that you speak, publications that you've authored, specific skills that you might have, and that that resume sits there passively for anyone who wants to come and find it and search for it. Uh, and, and that's why, much like a website, you're going to want to make sure that this resume, this online resume, has the right keywords that you want people to search for. Uh, you don't want to go overboard, and we're going to talk a little bit later about the kinds of keywords you don't want to use. But you're going to want to make sure that, that you have the kinds of words that describe the practice that you have and the, and the clients that you want to get. Uh, but, but having a... Uh, passive online resume is is nice in theory, but there's so much more to LinkedIn, I think, than just having that resume. Dennis, what are some of the other features that, that you see other people using that you think uh, are useful beyond just the resume function? Well, and, and I just want to mention, too, on the, the profile resume function is that it's surprising in the last couple of years how that LinkedIn profile really is starting to show up um, on on Google. It's one of the, right. in search the first engine couple results. of links for, for most people. So that's it's important to keep that in mind. There is this notion of, of connecting that, that I think is really key to LinkedIn. And, and I think this, when I speak to groups of lawyers, this is where they're a little bit surprised because this is not what they're typically using it for. So the idea with LinkedIn always was that you could take advantage of your online network. And so you could find somebody who was, say, two to three degrees of separation away from you. And then you could find your connection who was in between. And then you could send a message or ask for an introduction through somebody that you knew who was one step away from you out to somebody who's who's uh, two steps from you because they're one step away from the person you're asking. And so then you'd be able to get this warm introduction, uh, you, you know, to, to somebody else. And so it's a great way to say, and, and you could see why it became so useful in looking for jobs and things like that is because then you could get this warm introduction from somebody you knew well to somebody that they knew well. And that I think is, is really the underutilized part of LinkedIn, but it's, it's the real 
key to LinkedIn. Over time, they've added an, a number of, of features that I think are really important. So there's groups that you can set up. So I know that we have a group for our you know, connection with our book. I just set up a group in connection with the presentation I'll be doing at ABA Tech Show. Uh, so you can do groups. There's ways that you can ask questions of your network and people can ask and answer those questions. That's been really successful for people. Uh, probably the big enhancement over time that I've grown to like is that LinkedIn allows you to import your contacts from Outlook or from Gmail or wherever you have those into to LinkedIn, and then you can see which of your contacts were are already in LinkedIn and invite them to become an actual connection to you. Um, and, and I think that's important because in the early days, Tom, 2004, if you sent somebody a LinkedIn connection, you basically had to tell them what LinkedIn was and how to sign up for it. And, and people basically you know, rarely responded to that because they couldn't figure out what it is. Now more and more people are, are using uh, LinkedIn. And I, and I the, from the lawyers I talked to, it seems like their clients are the ones who are pushing them toward LinkedIn. I, I don't know if that's been your experience, Tom. I think, no, I think that's true. I think that, um, that clients are looking for people and frankly, uh, employers are looking for, 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 for people online as well. And LinkedIn is one of the first sites that they, that they follow. I, I wanted to go a little bit further into some of the features that you talked about, um, that the, the, the folks that I, know about and the f people in my network are using on a on a frequent basis. You mentioned the groups. I think that not only can you create a group, but you can go and join a group. And I think that for any interest that you have, there's a group on Facebook. And, and But more importantly, really, for lawyers, there's going to be groups for the industries that you're targeting in your practice uh, and, or the folks that you want to, the, to target. And so go out into the group area and search for groups that might have some interests. I am sort of lukewarm on the idea of groups because I think when they're handled well, they're really nice. But there are some groups that I belong to that essentially have been taken over by vendors and are used primarily for sales pitches, and they aren't really a source of good conversation. And I try to stay away from those groups, but that's sort of a, a caveat when you're using the group function. Uh, Dennis, also, you also mentioned the, the answering questions. You can go and answer questions. Not only you can ask questions of your network, but you can also answer questions not only from your network, but from anybody really on the LinkedIn service. And I guess my only my only caveat there is going to be, to, you know, to make sure that uh, you're following whatever ethical rules you need to follow, because answering questions can sometimes be considered giving legal advice. And that's really been a, a, a concern that many lawyers have had about answering questions. There have been no ethics opinions that I've seen that say you cannot answer questions, but I think you just need to use common sense and think about the ethical rules in your particular state before you do that. One of the things I want to talk about uh, real quick are some of the interesting apps that have been developed um, for LinkedIn that you can install as part of your profile. Uh, one of them is a called Company Follow. You can um, follow particular companies that allow you to keep keep track of a company's key developments. You can keep track of their business opportunities or hiring if you're looking for a job from that particular company. Uh, I, I found the Amazon reading list to be very helpful. You can install the Amazon reading list and uh, do a couple of different things with that. You can tell people what you're reading. You can see what your connections happen to be reading. You can see what um, you know the LinkedIn re users as a whole happen to be reading. It's a great way to share your 
the books that you find useful with others and to get ideas for new books. Uh, if you're a WordPress blogger, you can sync your blog posts to your LinkedIn page so they automatically appear. If you uh, give presentations, uh, there's a SlideShare application. SlideShare is a website that allows you to post your PowerPoint or keynote presentations up on the web for people to view. And the SlideShare app will allow people to view your presentations within uh, within LinkedIn. Dennis, are there any new and interesting features of LinkedIn that you are interested in or started using? Well, I, I think, you know, it's an interesting time because uh, a little bit ago you misspoke yourself and you said Facebook when you met. Oh, I did, and, didn't I? And, and, <laughs> and, and, and I, think, I, I think that, but I think that's a good, great point because LinkedIn and Facebook, Twitter, all these things are starting to come together. And so they're more like each other, especially uh, LinkedIn and, and, and Facebook. Um, I was talking to somebody recently. I haven't done this and I know some people do this. I do this in Facebook, but not in, in LinkedIn. But I know that you can also uh, push your tweets into into LinkedIn. So, yeah, if you if you think carefully about using that, because again, it's, it tends to be more of a business network in LinkedIn. You can kind of you know flood people just aren't used to seeing a lot of stuff. And if you want to you know dump all all of your reactions to the Super Bowl or whatever into LinkedIn, that may or may not be a a great idea. Also, I, I've given a, a bit of of thought lately. Uh, I get a lot of questions, and people are thinking a lot about ethics issues as they apply to LinkedIn. And I agree with you, Tom. I don't think we've seen anything where you know you point to LinkedIn and say, "Oh, something terrible has happened." But I know that some of the state uh, ethics committees uh, have looked at the way LinkedIn is done, and one of there are two things in particular that uh, give people concerns. Um, one is that by default, and and this makes complete sense when you you consider this sort of like a resume tool, is it asks you what your specialties are. Well, right. for all of the rest of the world. Except for lawyers, there's no problem with that. That that is a, especially is a is a tricky word for lawyers. Um, some states have have uh, raised some concern about that. I don't know as a practical matter what you can do. I know some people have kind of loaded in a disclaimer, you know, at a place that's you know wherever they can find a place to tuck it in. That's one thing. The other thing that that LinkedIn has always been known for is is something called endorsements, or, or I guess is recommendations, but right. that raises the endorsement issue. So what you'll find again is that people will say nice things about you. Oh, it's, I work with so so and so. They've been great. You know that sort of thing. And you can also make recommendations. That has also raised the endorsement issue on ethics. Uh, I've heard some states originally think about taking some fairly extreme positions on LinkedIn, um, like maybe saying lawyers shouldn't, you know, can't use LinkedIn at all. But I, that's just not realistic in the in in the world. And I'm not really sure you know, what, what, how the ethics rules are going to work in a way that says lawyers can't use the tool, a tool that's used by millions of people for business purposes. So I, I think you need to have some, you know, ethical savvy about how you use it. But I, I think that the track record with LinkedIn ha has, has been really good. Um, so those are s some of the thoughts. I also see more um, firms and companies uh Going to making it easier. I don't know whether there are firm pages in in LinkedIn. Tommy, you may know this better than me, but there you can are. go to one place. You can go to one place and see everybody. 
Um, so I do a sort of my interest is sort of the more efficient ways to add people uh, as connections. And I don't know, Tom, do you have a philosophy about how you add connections or accept invitations? Um, sort of. I mean, I think that that I just the, I think the main thing is I don't add a connection randomly. I um I don't look to my con- my other connections and say, oh, I'd really like to be connected to that person. Typically, it's someone that I either know or have met somewhere, um, or at least have heard of or become acquainted with. Um, but I really think that 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 if you're going to add a connection, you need to understand who they are. You need to find some common ground and. Especially if, uh, especially if you don't know them well, when you when you click to add a connection, it gives you a a standardized uh, "I'd like to add you to my network" message, which is very impersonal and and doesn't say a whole lot. If if I'm you know if if you and I were connecting on a network and we wanted to make sure I connected, I could send that to you and you would be okay with that. But if it's somebody you don't know well, take the time to craft a personal message, letting them know how you know them, why you think. It's be good for the two of you to connect. I really think that's Im- important to, to doing that. I am. Um, I generally accept most connections on fa- on a LinkedIn. The only thing that I don't uh, accept are connections from people I've never heard of or don't know. And um, I that those are the only people that I generally will not. If I have heard of them or if I'm aware of them through knowing other people, I'll generally accept those uh, those invitations. Uh, we're we're this we need to have this be our sort of our last segment for 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 this half of the show, Dennis. That's my approach to adding connections. Can do you have a specific approach, and then tack onto that some of your your best tips for using LinkedIn? Well, I I take a yeah I, with uh, Facebook. I'm really really selective with uh, with LinkedIn. I'm I'm very open about who I select. I always like to you know have people let me know why they're connecting to me. So, right. I mean, basically anybody who says they listen to the podcast, read my blogs, that sort of thing, I'll, I'll connect yeah, me too. Uh, to them. I, I also, it also will show people in your network who are linked to them. So that's the other screen that I use. So, I mean, basically if, if somebody's already connected to Tom and they send me an invitation, I'm automatically going to accept that. So, and then my approach is, I, I had this idea early along because I've We've been on this so long. I have almost 1,100 connections these days. And so I always say, you know, that's a lot. I'm not what I would call a super connector, but I sort of – my experiment with LinkedIn is whether, you know, as you get a large enough uh, network, that's – that. That gives you an advantage. I, 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 that's still the jury's still out. I just experiment on it. My tips, I would say, is is that you need to realize these days that the recruiters will tell you that the LinkedIn profile is already taking the place of the standard resume. Um, whether you're when in the interview process, if you are the interviewee, you can almost count on the fact that people who are interviewing you will look you up on LinkedIn. Also, if you're interviewing people, you can almost count on on the interviewee look, checking you out on LinkedIn, and and that's worth knowing. And the big tip I have is to is to leverage the connections you have and the tools that LinkedIn has. So to to really to pull in your contacts, it will let you know who's already in LinkedIn. In and then build out your network, uh, you know, efficiently using using those automatic tools. So, 
I think that LinkedIn is a is a terrific service. It's a key part of your online presence these days. It's definitely going to show up in Google. And your profile, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, is out there working for you or against you 24 hours a day. Let me go ahead and give some of my tips too, Dennis, um, and, I'll, and I'll do them pretty quickly. But these are m- more specific and less general. I, I think just like Facebook, LinkedIn has privacy settings. Unlike Facebook, those privacy settings are mostly set by default to reasonable settings uh, that, that you don't have a problem with. But make sure that your settings are configured how you want them. If you want complete transparency, then give people a full view. But you have the ability to go in and, and, and not display certain features of your profile that you don't want displayed publicly. You can control whether... Others you uh, see when you take action on the site, when you change your title, when you change your occupation, uh, people can see that if you want them to. And frankly, if you search for other people's profiles, you can also control um, how you appear in search results, whether you whether it's your name, whether it's just a, a person at a particular company or just an anonymous LinkedIn user. Uh, that's that, that's one of my favorite settings. Um, there was an article that came out a couple of weeks ago where they did a study of the most overused used buzzwords on LinkedIn. And so when I was talking about using keywords, here are keywords not to use. um, And you'll all recognize many of these. These were maybe the top 10. Extensive experience, innovative, motivated, results oriented, one of my personal favorites, dynamic, proven track record, team player, fast paced, problem solver, and entrepreneurial. So if, if you want to not be a victim of what's overused, then try to avoid using some of those words. My, 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 last, uh, my last tip will be develop a strategy for what you hope to accomplish on LinkedIn and then develop a set of keywords that help people find you according to that strategy. Uh, but like Dennis says, um, it's working for you or against you 24 hours a day. So you might as well make it count. I'm going to, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Clio and LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis 
And they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And it's time for another Stuff Tom and Dennis Have Been Talking About segment. This week, we both read a great post from Josh Barrett's Tablet Legal blog. And he said the most frequent question he gets is whether lawyers can use Microsoft Word on their iPads. Now, Tom's writing a book about iPads, so I thought this would be a, gr- a great thing to ask Tom. And, and But I also like the point that Josh made. He says that this is the wrong question. And the better question, he says, is what is the best way to write when you're mobile? And the Word, he says, is more of a formatting application, not a writing application. Um, and, and this led us to think whether lawyers have unrealistic expectations about iPads and and what they can actually do with them and to use word processing or just writing text as our example. Tom, what do you think? Well, I, I actually have two answers to that question. The, the first answer just on a, on a uh, as far as expectations about tablets, I think is true. I think that lawyers, I think many people who want to use a tablet for business purposes may have unrealistic expectations about what the tablet can do and and that there's only so much that it can do towards uh, towards their practice, towards the job that they happen to be in. I find a lot of places where lawyers are trying to, you know, sometimes fit a square peg into a round hole and, and, and make it do things that it's really not capable of doing. Uh, and, and that's, I think, a, a huge issue with respect to... Um, to, to using tablets because there's a bright and shiny factor about the iPad and these other tablets that that makes lawyers and others really want to use them, but they really have to understand what they're getting into. But I really I want to come back and address the issue that Josh talks about, where he says that um, that that you know he he's of the opinion that Word is a formatting applica- application and not a writing application. And I agree with him. If you just want to write, there are literally dozens of apps on the iPad on any tablet computer where you can just enter text whether you're want, whether you're going to use a stylus to enter the text whether you are um, whether you're going to use a keyboard no matter how you happen to enter it there are many text editing uh applications. I've tried a lot of them out. They're, for the most part all very good. The problem that I have with what Josh says is is that, I'm used to doing my own documents. I'm used to formatting them to a certain extent. And even if we're not talking about bullet points and we're not talking and we're talking about uh, putting a table of authorities or table of contents at the beginning of the document, I'm talking really basically about just bold and underlined and the very simple formatting that I might do as I'm creating the document. The problem is, is once you're done with the writing, you then have to move it into your formatting tool and 
do the formatting. And and if I don't remember where I wanted to put bold or highlight or that information, I'm going to have to make a note in the text. And I think that that to a certain extent, that's what makes that's what to, in my mind means that, that the tablet isn't quite ready for prime time yet. And, and really, if you're OK sending a pure text document on to your assistant or if you yourself would then put it in Word and format it, I think you'll be fine. I do think it will take you a lot longer to get that format done, especially since you're just able to add text. Am I off on any of that, Dennis? Well, I think you're, I, I think you're generally right about that. But I think that, you know, again, I'll go back to, to the point I feel like I've been beating on in 2011, which is I think you really got to understand how you use these things. And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm totally agree that all I want, if I'm using a tablet device, an iPad, then what I really want is just to get words on a page. You know, so I might be working on a first draft of an article, notes for this podcast, maybe maybe a blog post idea, maybe notes on something else. And so I don't really need Microsoft Word or anything fancy. I just need something that puts words on a page and does it really simply and easy and just allows me to write. I remember, well, it's been a while back, but I think I wrote an article how one day I was looking at Microsoft Word and, and I thought that the screen looked more complicated than what a, a jet fighter you know, console might look at. There were just so many things on the screen and so much stuff going on we didn't use. And, and I think that's part of the reason Microsoft moved to the, to the ribbon approach that they did. But I think on an iPad, you just need to think about what you're doing, where you're going to be using it, and what you're going to be doing with it. So if you're doing briefs, the idea is oh, I'll take my iPad and I'll do briefs and I need, you know, I need to do something with footnotes and all this. That's a crazy idea. I mean, it just won't, that's not going to work well for you. But if you say, I just need words on a page that I'm going to pull into something else or I'll be able to use as a text document, um, then I, you know, I just need to write a paragraph or a new section in a contract, then I think it's great. And so I, I agree with you on, on that time. I, I, but I do think that, um, you know, people need to, to just step back and say, what's realistic, what's simple, and that, you know, the iPad is this kind of in between um, device. And the better you understand it that way, the better results you're going to have. Some final thoughts? Yeah, my, my final thoughts are, I, well, I agree completely with what you just said. And, and I guess I would add to it that for me anyway, an iPad is better for note taking um, whether, you know, if I'm a lawyer, it, whether I'm in a deposition or a hearing or interviewing someone or at a seminar somewhere, I, I think it's stellar for note taking. There are so many different ways to take notes. I am, you know, probably the older of the generation who is used to putting together and formatting their own legal documents. And I think that the succeeding generations or the, the, the generations who've come out of law school are more and more doing their own word processing and and creating of documents. And I think that uh, that because of that, I'm going to be very interested to see how many of them actually use the 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 tablet for content creation in terms of legal documents. And and and, and I really think that most most lawyers are going to want to use it for note taking or a general brainstorm or initial draft of something that you're then moving into a word processor for formatting. Great. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. I have two quick 
quick quick uh, parting shots. The first one is a uh, a blog that uh, I've just become familiar with. It's called The Opinionator, and it's part of the New York Times website. And I think that typically it's meant to it's, it looks like it's designed to be opinion commentary, but it looks like it's been hijacked for um, something called Disunion, a, a series of articles on the Civil War. It's celebrating the 150th anniversary of, I guess, the start of the Civil War, and it looks like, from what I've been able to read so far, that it's handling things sort of in real time. And right now, if you go and read, you'll notice that both Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis are slowly making their way to the capital uh, of their respective uh, respective Union and Confederate capital to uh, to take the oath of office. And I'm hoping that they continue this throughout the whole of the Civil War and, and go for a couple of years. I'm finding it very interesting and very, very um, uh, educational. My technology tip is a very quick and easy one, and it is, d- deals with YouTube videos. Uh, you all come across a YouTube video that is many minutes long, and you only want someone to see a certain part of that video so they don't have to review through the whole thing till they get to the part that's interesting. Here's how to send them a deep link to a YouTube video. It's very simple. You just type in youtube.com slash watch, W-A-T-C-H, then a question mark, then a V, V for view, equals, then you put the number of the video, you'll put the video, each video has its own unique number, and then after the number of the video, you're going to put a pound sign and a T, the T stands for time, and then equals, and then you're going to put the location of the time. Uh, If if you want it to be 5 minutes and 15 seconds in, then you're going to put 5M, 15s. So it's the 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 watch question mark v equals YouTube number pound sign t equals 5m 15s. I'll put that up somewhere so you can get that if that was too hard to understand. But then when the people get your link, they click on it. It goes straight to that part in the video, and they don't have to watch the whole thing. Dennis, that's that's actually a great one, Tom. I I have a couple of LinkedIn things to go with our theme today. And the the first one, I, I just want to highlight a new book by uh, my friend Michelle Golden called Social Media Strategies for, for Professionals and Their Firms. There's really terrific stuff on how to use LinkedIn in a, for a professional firm and, and by individual professionals. Um, Michelle Golden is, is the author, author of that. And then a couple of things on LinkedIn that I think are, are a little LinkedIn grab bag, if you will. You can find them on the site. So LinkedIn is now allowing you to do skills, which you can put. It's a little confusing, but I think it's worthwhile to put in some of your skills like speaking, writing articles, those sorts of things to make you a little bit easier to find for some of those things. So LinkedIn.com slash skills, you'll find that. LinkedIn also has a blog that lets you know about new developments. That's going to be blog.linkedin.com. And then uh, sort of the cool thing everybody's been playing with the last week or so is uh, um, mapping your LinkedIn network. Um, so you you, join, you do this, and this is part of LinkedIn Labs, which is how you'll, you'll find it on the LinkedIn site. It's an experimental thing, but it allows you to take and, and map your LinkedIn networks and show you who's related to and it has all these lines and circles. And it looks really cool. I'm not really sure how useful it is, but it, it definitely definitely looks cool. 
Well, those are great. Those are good tips for LinkedIn. And that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, should be available on our show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. But fortunately, we're having some issues with that site, so please bear with us while we get it fixed. If you want to know about the links that we mentioned in today's podcast, then please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. So until the next podcast. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Stay connected to this podcast by subscribing in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.